Ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about something. Not about some regular boring stuff. Let's talk about something cool that we all love and enjoy. Welcome to Something Basketball, your English spoken basketball podcast straight out of Germany. I'm your host JB and today we are handing over the key to the city to a former PG who ran the smoothest of pick and rolls 20 years ago. To really understand what's going on today in modern basketball, you should listen closely to your elders. Stephen Key, 51 years of age now, is one of these coaches who not just made the transition from the US to Europe as a player, but went back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean once he hung up his sneakers. To give you an idea who we're really talking about here, Key played as a professional during the 90s, an era you can rarely find any stats about on the internet these days. So let me do the digging for you, sharing the information that during the 99-2000 season, the 6-4 guard averaged a versatile 9.3 points on 40% from deep, 3.7 rebounds, 5.6 assists and 1.4 steals per game for Braunschweig. Key started to earn his coaching stripes in Germany just to join the newly installed WNBA franchise Chicago Sky as an assistant in 2006. He went on to be promoted as head coach in the city of brotherly love, learning the probably most important lesson, communication is key for Key. Coming back to Germany, he's been involved in saving a few clubs from being relegated to second division until his paths led him to Gießen in 2015. That's where he teamed up with former German national team member Dennis Wucherer in order to form a coaching duo that's nowadays at the helm for Würzburg. Würzburg. Dirktown. Maxi Kleber City. Although it might take some time for the next local kid to make it to the NBA, who knows, quite a number of talented youngsters joined the program over the last two years. Headlined by Nike Hoop Summit alum Joshua Obiese and his fellow under-20 national team companion Niels Hasfurter. By the way, Steve still owes me a one-on-one, -on -one, but that's another story for another day. In the meantime, we stick to the something basketball scheme, exchanging the good old triple threat position, shoot, pass and dribble for sky high, pick and roll and development. What's the one or maybe one or two things that you learned back in the Chicago days that you're uh, that are still of, of of high value for you these days as a as an assistant coach in men's basketball? Um, I would definitely say communication. Um, when you communicate with uh, male players, female players, or whatever anything else, I've recognized that communication is almost as important as somebody being able to do have the skill set that you need in order to run the play or play the defense or everything else because on a professional level which is a lot different than college or you know youth development levels everything else um these people are human beings and they're you know grown men and women and you can't talk to them like they're you know 12 years old and i think um it's important nowadays that that coaches find a way you don't have to baby them. You don't have to be soft on them. That doesn't mean you're, you're doing that. But I think a high level of communication, any successful coach um, uh, communicates very well. Um, he doesn't baby. He doesn't, uh, you know, say, okay, yeah, well, you can do it your way, but it's more or less an understanding of where the person is coming from having strict guidelines and holding everybody to those guidelines and then having a, 
a fair level of communication um, and then let the players do what they do. And I think when you do that, the players respect you for the X's and O's you do, respect you for the process that you're trying to get the job done. And in the end, they, they play better. And if they play better, then, you know, you're happy, they're happy, and you tend to have a little bit more success than not. Yeah. But, but would you say that the ladies want to be babied at all? Or is this no, something that they say, not. hey, man, ah, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll – Basketball players. They're, they're ball players. They're ball players. And in the end, I think a lot of people who don't know anything about women's athletics or sports, in particular in this basketball, um, don't don't know enough or haven't been around it enough and are, you know, in that situation sexually biased because they, you know, they maybe their last contact with women's basketball was in high school and it wasn't very good for them and maybe they weren't very good either so they have no idea what they're talking about but um you know women's basketball or basketball in general if played the right way played with good passing and timing and with skill and everything else is good basketball and for me that's what's the most important thing as a coach and there's no there's no deficiency just because you're a male or a female i think there are some things that you can cheat with the male players because they on average jump higher and do some other things that are above the rim and change the angle um obviously but other than that um you know there are some things that i think the male players do that the female um, can't can't do that the female players can do which is be more consistent at times and uh, be more uh, responsive to a team game as opposed to an individual game so um i think it's a plus and a minus but i've, I've taken both from both ang from both sides and, and try to be the best coach I can be, whether head coach or assistant coach, to try to get them to do whatever's necessary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for, for last to touch on that subject, how, la how long did it take you personally to understand that very aspect that, you know, the women are not able to, as, as, you, as you stated rightfully so, that, hey, they're not jumping as high. And when it comes to the X's and O's at the end of the day, there's stuff you can do and stuff you can't do. Was is, is that something where the communication steps in that, that the, the girls say, hey, coach, uh, we know what you're drawing up there, but that's not stuff we can do. Let's do it well, in a different way. No, and, and, and that's our way to play. No, not necessarily. They weren't telling me that they can't do it. It's not like I was drawing plays up for alley-oops for a dunk or something like that, but you can still run a back screen alley-oop play. Maybe they're just laying it in as opposed to trying to dunk it. Um, play a beautiful bounce pass. Exactly. Or play another angle or something like that. And so that wasn't the part that was the, the, the learning part. So the communication came in as far as dealing with the players and getting them to do the job that you know is necessary for them. And that's what I meant by the, the difference in them. And sometimes it's a little bit more difficult um, explaining that to a young man than it is to a young woman because my tendency, okay, my daughter's only 12. And my son is eight, um, but also I have two sisters who were very athletic, played in college, and you know one played basketball, one was an a um, track athlete, and one of the best tips they gave me was, "Is okay, we are women, but that's not a that's not a deterrent to the way you want to coach. We are definitely sports people first, but also you have to realize that as women we think different than men, so you kind of have to find a good way to communicate because, as we all know." Men and women communicate much differently on different levels. And you can ask any married man that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Or any man in, yeah. in a long-term relationship. Or and, that's, and, that's not meant, and that's not meant in a negative way at all. No way. Just, no way. That's just I mean, straight, we're just, that's just straight we facts. Are different. And I, I think yeah. the, the beauty of the whole thing is when you accept this, 
it it helps working together and communicate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's and that's what I learned most. And I and, and the good thing about it is that I've taken that and then also now to apply it because it's been a few years since I've been, you know, working with um the WNBA and now that I'm back in Germany working in Würzburg, um I've also learned that this communication style is also appropriate. Um not that it's a different style, but this co level of communication is very important whether it's male or female. Absolutely. But uh, on the last word, when it comes to, to uh, being in the WNBA, um, as obviously it's a women's league and you're a male person working in that very league, um, did you feel like being a minority out there? Or <laughs> what, did, what did it feel like? I mean, I've, I once spoke to uh, Daphne Buzik, who's been a, a long-time assistant coach for Frankfurt, um, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a female assistant coach in a male's league. So, so what's, what's it the other way around? How, how, does it, how did it feel like? Did you feel like, um, yeah, I'm I'm out the year alone, along with you only well during the basketball times, it's 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 no different. Yeah. Um, when you're on the court, everything else, you don't, you know, there's no difference. It's only in the personal time, traveling and everything else, where, you know, it's you know you're, you're not thinking basketball all the time. Everything else that you got to get used to is that, you know, you're, there's a bunch of women around this, and it's not that I change the way I talk or what I'm talking about or something like that, because they definitely don't. And, you know, they have locker room talk, just like guys have locker room talk and everything else. So everything was pretty much the same. It's just that maybe initially I might be a little more shocked to hear some of the things coming out of a woman's mouth that I typically hear coming out of a male's mouth in a locker room situation. But other than that, it was all good. I think nothing, nothing, nothing bad in the difference uh, in that situation. Yeah. So, Maybe surprising. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody who wants to experience uh, what real women's locker room talk is about should be, go to any mixed tournament out there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely. a fun experience. Yeah, it, it is different. And you, you won't, you know, you shouldn't be surprised because they're allowed to talk how they want to talk to They're sports people. And, you know, when, when it gets down to it, they're, when you have a bunch of competitive people, male or female, trying to accomplish a goal or whatever, nobody's, you're not out there trying to be nice. It's not, you don't get, you don't win by being nice or you don't win by being pleasant all the time. Not that you have to be a jerk, but You know what I mean? Sometimes aggression and emotion comes out, and yeah, it gives you, know, you the extra that's okay. edge. Absolutely. Yeah, and that and that's okay, and that's okay. Absolutely. So, um, on on a final note, what what's the beauty of working together with old uh, with former teammates uh, as a, as a coach? As uh, during research, I remembered myself. Yeah. There was a guy named Mike Mitchell on the the uh, on the Chicago Sky uh, uh, coaching staff. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. you guys play together. What, what is it like to see each other, uh, so to speak, on the other side of, of the fence? How, what's the the upside? What's the downside of working with former teammates? Well, you know, right away. So I was starting my career, and I had been maybe coaching, I think, three or four years. And one of the things I realized is. When you work with somebody you've never worked with before, um, there's a learning curve there. It's not about whether they're competent in basketball and you're competent in basketball, it's just, but it's about a level of communication and familiarity of me knowing that the person I'm working with thinks about the game of basketball similar like I do. I don't want to have to teach them everything. I can tell them the way I want to. As a head coach, I want to do something or what we should do in practice or what we should emphasize here or there, and they can have their own thoughts and we can come to disagree or agree or whatever it's going to be. But when you know the person and the way they thought basketball, because you played with them, because you have a, um, a better knowledge of the way they think about it, um, then it's definitely, um, it's like having your team together for five years. You know, there are certain things that you don't have to go over anymore. And with Mike Mitchell in that situation, I didn't need to 
sit down and have a three-hour meeting and talk about my defensive principle, this and that. Hey, I stated it what I wanted. Hey, and I say, hey, remember that year we did this and this and that? Okay, I know what's going to open up. Um, this could be this problem later on, but let's start off with this. And he knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Of course, we still have to go out and do the hard work and the planning and the footwork and all the other stuff, but at least he knows where I'm coming from, you know? And that's a good thing. And then on the other part for me is, Having somebody that you know who knows you and is comfortable with you as a person, um, I'm never interested in wanting an assistant coach that's just going to go and wait for me to tell him to do, he or she to tell me, you know, tell, wait for them to tell me, wait for, they're waiting for me to tell them what to do. Um, and with Mike, or if I'm starting to, to not think the right way, who's also not afraid to say, hey, coach or Steve, hey, you might want to back off or this and that. And when you have somebody that you have this a little bit more uh, cohesion with or better familiarity with, it's easier for that person to tell you, particularly in a head coaching situation, um, that, hey, maybe it might be wrong or maybe you want to rethink it. And when you have somebody you don't work with that much, it's a little bit harder. So I think those were two, two things that were really good about having Mike Mitchell be around is because – I could respect him in both those areas. Yeah, is is that what makes you and Dennis Wucherer nowadays in in Würzburg click? I mean, although you guys never played together, but I believe you guys played against each other on uh, you know similar positions. Maybe had to you know got each other you know once or twice uh, during your active careers. Uh, so is it somewhat similar to what you explained uh, or what you talked about with with Mike? Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. That's uh, he and I both see the game the, the same way. When things happen, we're like, okay, why did he try to do that? Or why would he do this and that? You know what I mean? It's not always, you know, one-to-one -one in our thoughts and everything else, but for the most part, we have the same vision of the way we would like to see basketball played, um, how we want to go about getting that done and, 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 you know, and doing the hard work and also the fun work of doing the hard work together with somebody who's thinking that way. And when you have that, it doesn't feel like work to you. Like, you know, we're calling each other on the phone. It's not like we talk all the time, but Hey, I saw this, I saw that. I sent him a clip of video. Oh, I saw this, I saw that. Hey, we got to talk about that. You know? And one of the best things about working with Dennis is that he gives me the freedom to, to not just be an assistant coach, but have a voice. You know what I mean? Hey, take the personnel scout and everything else, Hey, individual stuff that you see during a game next week, Hey, he doesn't micromanage and say, yeah, you got to have to 100% show him this and that and blah, blah, blah. He's like, hey, I trust you because of your vision. I know the way you think. Um, and, it, it, and it's enough for him. And I think that's a large part to do because of the way we see basketball in the same way. And when we talk about seeing basketball, um, you know, from a guard's perspective, that's what you played in uh, mm -hmm. during your active years as well as, as Dennis. Um What do you see in, in pick and rolls these days? What uh, I mean, it's it's run a a lot, uh, a lot more than it was used to be uh, run in the let's say early, mid, or even late nineties uh, when you guys played. Um, where do you see, or, or what do you feel like? Why is that the case that pick and roll is run that much compared to 20 years ago? Um, you know, it's somebody asked me this question or uh, said something. Yeah, pick and roll has been pick and roll basketball since they started it. And it's funny. It's just that it, the style has changed because the game is speeding up so fast with these younger, uh, stronger, faster, longer athletes. 
Um, the pick and roll game is even more important now because of the speed of the game. Um, and I think that's a large part. Whereas before, you know, your five man used to be 6'10", you know, 275 pounds, slow screen roll switch. And the game was played so slow that those larger people who were heavy had a much more advantage, right? But nowadays, um, the pick and roll basketball is sped up so much that the skill sets have changed and the five men have changed and the shooting, the stretch fours or whatever you want to call them have changed the game. And so I think pick and roll basketball has become um, more, let's say, dynamic or influential in, in, in the game or half court sets because you have so many more opportunities to do something more with the ball than just having the point guard, you know, get a screen set for him by the five man and then just play that way. So now you can have a, a four man that runs pick and roll. You can have your three man. It's just so much different basketball from when I played, but it's still the same principle of running a pick and roll, right. With spacing and timing. So um, it's, it's really interesting to, to, to see the evolution of it though. Yeah. So, so what made it uh, for you guys, Running pick and roll situations so so special so special in the in the nineties. Uh, I I remember whether it was your your windoff days or later on uh, when you came back to to Braunschweig. Um, there was like like your bread and butter play with the big man, I, I believe. And and was it a chemistry thing? Was it a, something you you guys had to work on in, in practice on on detail? What's it been for for you that made this? this uh, aspect of the games so efficient for you? Yeah, I, I think it's two parts. I think the person with the ball has to want to pass the ball, um, which makes the whole pick and roll situation that much more dangerous for the defense. If you have somebody who only wants to score or even only wants to pass and can't score, it also is not as much. But when you have that one person who's a little bit taller, like I was, could see over the top, run, jump, also score, but also really wanted to pass and make other people better. It put the defense um, in a, in a tough situation. So um, it's, it's just, it's just one of those things where the communication is there between you and the five man. And maybe sometimes it's just a head, you know, a head nod, Hey, go back door or something else, but that, that develops over time. And I think the more people communicate, once again, we're back to communication earlier before the situation happens, the more chances you have success. I like to look at it, uh, the good passes in the BBL over the last couple of years, Braden Hobbs, Jovic at uh, Byron as well. Um, you know what I mean? You, you have Drew Joyce who was, you know, the last couple of years all in and around these players are, if you watch a game closely are communicating ahead of time before they make the pass, maybe when they're back on defense or something like that. And they're, they're seeing the game before it comes because they saw what happened the last time they ran that play. And I think these are, these are the advantages of being, or what it looks like good chemistry basically is really good communication and sight from either the point guard or the big man saying, Hey, look, this happened the last time let's do that, but I'm going to slip instead of set the screen or whatever. And then I just think, that's where the chemistry comes in between the point guard or whoever's running the, 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 the pick and roll situation with the big man. Yeah. Um, do guys nowadays um, really, really accept, I mean, not, not really accept what you're saying, but uh, at the end of the day, do they, do you feel like, yeah, these guys know what I'm talking about when I, you know, when, when you see something on the floor and there's a break or something and you go to, to your point guard or the big man and say, hey, when, when you're in that, that very certain situation, 
try a different angle or work on your timing or this and that? Do they um, do they know where it's coming from? Do they know? Hey, we got a guy who's who's seen it all himself uh, during during his active days, and I mean, there, there's virtually I don't know if there's video footage from back in the nineties or so, but uh, I mean, if there was. That's something one could show to the to the to the youngsters these yeah. days and say, "Hey, that's how it's done." Yeah, I I wouldn't go so far. I think what's <laughs> most important for me as a as a coach is not that they know that I I did do it. I think they know there's a reason why I'm still coaching, why I'm still in Europe as an American player or ex American player um, who stayed here. Because I I told them a lot. I say, "Hey, I I'm not the only, and I'm not the wasn't the best." American player ever to come through the BBL. I never claimed that, never would, and never believed it. But what I did tell them is, is I took enough pride in the way that I played because it was the right way I played. And I said, if you can listen to that part and allow me to help you with what that is now, because the game hasn't changed much except for the speed and maybe some of the size of these guys as far as muscle-wise and everything else, um, I can help them. And from the angles and from the, the thinking and everything else, that, that was really where the advantage was for me is I wasn't always the biggest, strongest guy, but also I was a very good thinker. And if they can start to think and use their size and muscle and quickness um, as fast as they, you know, if they, if they can use their brain as fast as they're using everything else, um, then they'll be really good players. And that's the way I kind of approach it is I don't always, of course, I joke with them and tell them, You know, I can still play at 51 years old and they can't stop me, but that's only in my head. <laughs> well, let, let's um, say I played you when you were in your late 30s and I said, you know, coming back to the to the 90s when I was still a youngster and you were in your prime and we were watching practices, we were like, yeah, okay, that's a damn good player out there. But when you once you were retired and we faced, you know, during uh, that one-on-one contest, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. he's a little older. I can beat him. But then I realized, damn, he's still he's still quick. He's still got the you know he's still got the wingspan. He still can yeah. contest my shots. So hey, why would that change now that that you're fifty well, fifty one years old? Yeah, well, so. I, pre I appreciate I really appreciate that and and this nice memory and everything else. But at the same time, it's like over a certain amount of time, you know, I just don't I physically can't do it. But my brain works really well, and that's yeah. where I try to help them. I'm using. I'm using my, my thoughts and my experience that's inside my head and hopefully I'm doing it in the right manner and everything else that they can use it while they're in their prime so that they can get a little bit better. You know what I mean? We're not talking about 10 points better here or 10 assists a game more or something like that. We're really talking about trying to give my experience as quickly as I can to them so that they can learn it in game situations. Sometimes I can do it inside the 40 minutes in a game. Other times, hey, it might be a two-month learning curve before the guy sees what I was trying to tell him on a regular basis. You know what I mean? On video and everything, when you try to analyze it after a game or after practice with them, they, they see it and they understand it. But we know when the lights come on and people are in pressure situations, they don't always remember the way that they should. And so this is what we work on. And we try to duplicate those situations as much as possible so that when it comes to game day or it came to, comes to that situation, maybe it's a, you know, one possession game or something like that. Not saying that the basket's going to go in, not saying that they're going to make the pass hundred percent right and everything else, but at least it's a better thought than it was the last time that they did it. And I think that's the challenge as a coach is to make sure that these players are getting better and better as a process through one season and also through years as they you know move on in their career. Would you say that um, this might be one of the biggest uh, or the one of the biggest challenges as coaches to 
to work on that mental aspect of the game because everybody is so physically ready these days. And as you said, the, the game has evolved, the game is sped up. Um, and everybody can jump through the roof and they guys these days even at, at a younger age have all those those um, physical uh, abilities and, and capabilities that guys back in back in our days we didn't have that because you know mm -hmm. conditioning and, and, and uh, yeah. strength wasn't you know wasn't really looked at that much or guys didn't have to hit the weight room as much as, as in today's uh, era uh, would, you, would you say the mental aspect is, is one thing where you can really get an edge over the uh, over the opposing team absolutely I think that's true in almost uh, in, in for any athlete in any sport or team sport or something that so even if it's an individual sport um, if you're mentally more prepared or better and you can see it coming then you have an advantage whether you're physically gifted or not um, doesn't matter at that point in time because you you know you don't have to be 125 kilos if you get there quicker and you don't use try to be something you're not you know what I mean and this is what the players nowadays have to do, they have to get their mental ability up to speed with their physical, like you just mentioned. And I think the quicker they do that, the better they play over long stretches, season to season, game to game, month to month, whatever it's going to be. And those that are performing on a high level, EuroLeague and everything else, it's not just because you pay them more money to do the job. It's because they do the job. That's why you pay them more money. And I think the players who aren't in the EuroLeague, um, need to understand that these guys, yeah, you're also six foot seven or six foot eight and 225 pounds and can shoot and dribble and run and jump. But through a course of a season or two seasons or four seasons, how efficient are you with that? Are you consistently playing that way? Are you making your team better? Are you always winning? Do you score less and your team wins more? Or do you score more and your team loses? What is the ratio under which you say, um, I'm a good player and I'm, I'm a, I deserve more money. And I think a lot of that has to do with your consistency. And the more consistent you are um, mentally, particularly uh, matching it with your physical part, I think you'll become a better teammate and the more success you'll have and eventually uh, get paid more money somewhere by somebody. But, but how open, honestly, how open are players to, to when it comes to letting them know exactly what what you said hey, by you know scoring less the team wins more stuff like this i mean that that's sometimes it feels like this is something you don't want to hear as a as a person or you know that you you know by by sacrificing you you're giving more to uh, you're giving more to the to the team do you feel like this is something that guys are open to listening to well i think sh uh, initially when Dennis and I were in, in Gießen, our big part was we wanted everybody to know that when we, when we won, we all would get success through the coaches, through the players and everything. And then they would make more money. And I, we look back over the last four years and see what the players that we had back then, uh, making a lot less money than they probably make now. I have no idea what, what they make now and everything else, but I know the places that they're playing in bond in, in you know in, in in all these other places in the BBL outside the BBL whatever it is and playing international competitions, I, I, I want to believe that had to do with the fact that they believed that we were better together than I am by myself, and you know nowadays with all the video with synergy with all the video servers and everybody able to watch games everything else you know general managers and head coaches who are putting teams together year to year 
They're not calling other former coaches and saying, hey, can this guy run, jump, and do everything else? They're calling and asking, hey, how hard does the guy work? Is he a good teammate? Um, is he a willing passer? Does he want to be a good teammate? Does he want to win? Or is it only about points and this and this and that? And the, I think this is something that if you in, instill in these guys from the beginning of the season, hey, listen, yes, you might have 20 tonight, but you don't have to have 20 the next night and the next night if it means that we're going to lose the game. Because for us, at the end of the thing, when we're looking for players season to season, yes, we, we want players that, you know, if we're looking for a score, to put points on the board. But if they average 20 points and we're scoring champion in the French League, but um, their team was uh, playing almost in relegation or they were the second or the third worst team and you're shooting 25 times, well, yes, you probably can do what we're asking you to do. But can you do all the other things that we think are important, which are, you know, running the play and playing the right basketball and inside the right spacing at the right moment. Um, and not just saying, Hey, you're really good scoring, give you the ball and get out of the way. So I think it's a fine line between finding a good combination of people that want to do the job, ex expect to, to get paid to do a good job, but also know that if you're going to move on or get better, um, your team success is, is almost just important as your individual success. Yeah. And, and growing up in that very environment are, you know, a couple Not just a couple. I mean, a, a ton, a load of uh, our youngsters with you guys in, in Würzburg. Uh, we're talking about mm -hmm. the Obieses, uh, the Fishers, the Buddy Bucks, uh, the Niels Hussforters. Um How do how how what's the, the 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 biggest difference when it comes to to working with the veterans? All you guys have uh, on on the roster. We're talking about Jordan House. We're talking Cam Wells, Skylar Bolin. I mean, these are guys who have seen it all. I mean, or have, mm -hmm. at least have seen a lot of basketball. Uh, and then we have those youngsters who are at the very beginning of their playing careers. How, how do, you, do you guys have to approach them differently or is, there, is everybody th the same on, on that roster? No, I, I think uh, the way we play basketball, if you're a guard, you're a guard, you're a ball handler or you're a shooter or you're a postman, pick and roll. You, you, your role is pretty defined based on what your skill set is, right? And if you stay inside what you're trying to get done, the, the plays will help you to be successful. May, it may not be right away, but you, maybe you score eight points in three minutes and then you don't score again for eight minutes because now they have to stop you. Now you're able to make a pass. And in that eight minutes, you've now got three assists and two rebounds and something else. And so um, we don't approach it any different. We teach the the young guys just like we try to rem remind the, the more experienced players, the Bolins, the, the Wells and the Holes, to try to get them to continue to play the right way. Um, and as an example, it, it's good because the young players can see, oh, well, Jordan is hot. Yes, we try to run plays for him and everything else. But every now and again, Jordan gets the ball. And after scoring a couple threes or maybe one in transition and after a timeout, a drawn up play, he has two or three assists in a row because now he knows everybody's paying attention to him instead of jacking up a shot because it's a heat check trying to go five for five. You know, he has two assists in a row and then out of nowhere, out of transition, because we've got good defense, he gets the most wide open three there is. And he has all the confidence in the world in making it because he's been playing the right way up until that point. And I think this is one of the biggest things that we can show the young players is just because you score a two or three or make a nice play, a dunk or a pass or whatever it's going to be, doesn't mean it's going to be that way in 30 seconds later or in the next quarter or for the next game. And I think they have to realize each situation defensively and offensively is always Is going to be different but you can almost make it the same if you can think it that way and accept what's happening in front of you so i think that's our biggest challenge is to try to get them as much experience as possible 
so that they see these things like the more veteran players. Yeah. Would you agree on the fact that, or would you say there in today's game, there's a lot more distraction for young players than was like 20 years ago when you were the vet that had to teach the young guys, you know, about what's going on on the floor? I mean, we're talking about social media, we're talking about media and all in general. The fact, I mean, what you talked about with Synergy, that every everything can be seen somewhere in some database out there. But at the end of the day, that it comes down to, you know, you got to work hard in the gym. You got to be present in each and every Absolutely. Is it more difficult for those guys to really concentrate on the task at hand? I don't know if it's about concentration or not. I think either you want to do it or you don't want to do it. I think what happens is all the new technology with social media and all that stuff, I like to call it instant gratification. And this is what basically the generation is. is my kids are the same way. Is that they want this, they can go online and find it. Or if they think about this, they can go to Siri or the Internet and get the answer. So whereas before you had to actually go to the library, look it up, find it, if you remember the question a week later or whatever it's going to be. And I think this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But also they also tend the problem the only problem i see is that they tend to think that that's going to happen in basketball well i'm six foot six and i'm strong and i can run and jump and i can shoot so it should work every time well no that's not how it works because you're lacking the experience in that part right and the same can be said for a veteran player right but i think um there's positives and negatives to the social media part i think sometimes people pay attention too much to um, what other people think about what they're doing or what is good as opposed to saying, hey, look, that's not what we talked about in practice. Yeah, I did score almost a triple-double, but I did that because that guy did his job. I had this thing. Yes, I did make a shot or two, but I don't need to thump my chest and be like, hey, I'm the best player ever just because somebody liked it on social media. And I think this for us is a little bit of a challenge because we have so many people um, we always say like inside these people's heads because they're dependent on what somebody else thinks about what they posted. Um, that's just very, very foreign to people who didn't grow up with that same technology. And um, it's something we have to adapt to and everything else. Um, but at the same time, uh, I always tell the players, hey, you know, that's great and wonderful. Your aunt and everybody else who's following you is good. I said, but I'm always going to tell you the truth, you know, whether it's good bad or positive negative everything else but i'm trying to make you a better player for down the road and for us right now but i'm not going to just tell you you're great because you scored three threes or something like that um that's not the way a good coach works yeah and, and you know when you scored uh three threes yeah, that's right that's past tense you scored that's not gonna, yep. that, that, that's that's not gonna mean that you will you know hit for hit another uh three triples the next game or the game after exactly. that exactly you gotta you exactly. gotta earn this uh but but when we talk about um i would like to for for the last uh part i'd like to to touch on one guy that came in over the summer in in Niels Hasfurter. Um, I mean, he's been playing pro A last year with Nuremberg, uh, with, and he's he's new to to the BBL, but he's new, not new to uh, you know basketball in Germany because he had a, a great uh, youth career, whether it was in, in on the under 16 or under 19 level. Um, how sure when when you guys recruited him? How sure were you guys that his pro a game would translate to the bbl level i mean it's just two games in the books for you now but uh just given the fact that he, he was on the floor th that long i mean averaging around about mm -hmm. 11 12 minutes shows me that uh 
Hey, he, he's ready to play. So, so what did you guys yeah. see in in Niels uh, that made you recruit him or go after? So him? it was it was so of course we watched the under 20 um, national the championships and we're watching the game because Obiezi is playing. He's playing, um, and it's of interest to us because by that time we we had already had Joshua, but you know we were looking for pro B stuff. You know how stuff is always changing in the back. We need this player. We need this German player. That player. And um, so we were watching and you know, I didn't know who he was. And so I said to Dennis, hey, who's that kid? He goes, oh, yeah, heard about him the year before, um, so on and so forth. Yeah, keep an eye on him. And then at the end, um, I think I was in the States on vacation. Dennis said, hey, uh, we might have an opportunity. What do you think about adding him? And I said right away, I said, hey, we wouldn't have to teach this guy where to go, where to stand to do anything else. I said that for us is a huge plus. We had a player like that uh, four years ago who played for us in Geese and Tommy Scrub. And I watched, I'm okay, Tommy at the time was only playing in Finland or Sweden or whatever it was. Obviously his brother played in Frankfurt for a couple of years, even after he came to Geese and then left and went to Italy. But Tommy, I watched two, three, four games on Synergy, full games, watching him move. He never did something wrong. And when I say something wrong, I don't mean miss shot or no turnover, but spacing wise, timing wise, defensive wise, you could see he was in the scheme. You could see he was moving to the right spot at the right time for the right reason. Now, whether or not he scored or didn't score or whatever, I can't tell you. I definitely know it wasn't 100 percent, but we felt the same way about Niels. And even though and at a younger age and everything else, we think he's his his upside is huge because he plays that way all the time, whether he's playing BBL, pro B, pro A, under national, you know, under 20 national team, because it's the right way to play. And I think that was the, the most attractive thing that we, that, that we saw in him. Yeah. He, he doesn't do any, or at least that's what I always felt when it came to, to watching games he played in is that he doesn't try to, to, to do something that he can't. He's Correct. I mean, if, if there might be a chance for a fancy pass, now nah, he's not, taking that chance he's you know waiting for a better opportunity play the right chess pass or but it can even be a fancy it can it can be a what's a so-called fancy pass even if it's the right pass for the moment that he's in yeah when don't throw a, when don't throw right a behind moment, the back pass just to throw a behind the back pass right. you know what i mean if it if it means you can make it a successful pass or easier pass doing that then do so and i think this is what what's what's which really makes him really good in his decision making and everything else Is is this? Do you feel uh, being a being a point guard yourself? Do you feel this is something that he that's in his genes, or is this something that that you can learn as a point guard? I think um, I think you have to learn it. You have to see it. And you have to understand the game. Um, good passers typically know why they're passing the ball, not just because somebody's open. They know to take an extra dribble to create a little bit more of an easier pass or a pa pocket pass or over the top or an alley-oop or whatever. You see players that, okay, if you see the guy's going to be open on the left, I'm going to look a little longer to the right. And to everybody else, it looks like a no-look pass. But actually, we saw him before the person was open, right? Yeah. And I think this is some quality that you, you either see the game – that way before it happens or you don't. And, you know, those are great players, the ones who match the physical, the mental, plus all the everything, all the small experience, all the other stuff in between. I mean, th these are what I call the one percenters. Those are your Jordans. Those are your, you know, Stocktons. Those are your, you know, your truly elite players because they're taking their normal skill of being able to shoot, pass, run and jump 
and putting on another level because they see all these things happen before everybody else does. And that's why we're all like, wow, how did that happen? Well, if you look closely, they're look they're moving a little quicker than everybody else or a little slower to make something else happen. And that's because they understand what's going to happen after they do that move. And I think this is something that all players should strive to do, you know, see the game before you catch the ball. What do you want to do with it after you catch the ball based on what you saw before you caught it? And, you know, the more you can, what everybody calls now read option offense and all this other stuff, that's basically just knowing what's going to happen because when you catch the ball where everybody else is or was before you caught it or after you caught it. And if you react quick enough, um, then the better you'll look. Right. And, and, and that's, there's so much stuff you, you need to track out there on the field. I mean, yeah. it's just, ten, I mean, it's not just, it's 10 people moving. It's a ball. You got X's and O's and mm -hmm. yeah. so, so much stuff. So, uh, on a, on a very last note. So, so what's, The, the one thing Niels surprised you guys with that you did not have on your scouting report when, when, he, when he came in. What, what's the one thing, whether it was in practice or a game, where you say, hey, I didn't know he had this trick up his sleeve or that he had this or that quality? He's, well, I would t two things for me. One is that he's, he's, he's pretty tough. You know, he's not the biggest guy and everything else, but he's tough. And he's in shape. He came in and ran our beep test, you know, everything else, outlasted everybody. <laughs> um, so he's in shape. He's ready to go. And then the one thing for me as a, as a player that I'd expect him to do is he has unbelievable balance when he goes to the basket. And he's not jumping over people, but he's just so poised. And he sees it. You can tell why he's doing it. He's not always successful. He's not like he doesn't have turnovers. He gets a shot block. But you can see he goes under in there with a, a certain amount of poise. And I like that. And because point guards or people who are going to go into places where it makes it tough have to be ready to go in there and not panic. And he has a great, he does a great job of keeping his poise and not panicking when he gets in there amongst bigger, stronger, higher jumping people. And, and I really love that about him. He's fearless in that, in that point. Closing this one out, shout out to my man Stefan Wienhold for making this interview possible. And a special thanks to Stephen Key himself for letting me pick his brain. As a listener, feel free to follow Something Basketball on Instagram at Something Basketball as well and leave some feedback on whatever platform you've been listening to this episode. Until then, substitution, I'm out.